You're listening to Psych with Mike. For more episodes or to connect with the show with comments, ideas, or to be a guest, go to www.psychwithmike.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Psych with Mike or like the Facebook page at Psych with Mike. Now, here's Psych with Mike. All right, here we go. I shan't. Want to start now? <laughs> well, because, you know, as I've always want to do, I push the wrong button. I thought, I thought we were recording. Heard no, we didn't think, did we? Well, I thought that we were <laughs> recording. <laughs> Welcome into the Psych with Mike Library. This is Dr. Michael Mahan, and I'm here again yeah. with Mr. Brett Newcomb. Once more, dear friends, into, <laughs> into the, breach. the breach. Unleash the dogs, Unleash of, the war. dogs of war. Unleash the dogs of war. I have it. Yeah. yeah. We're both Shakespeare guys. Henry V. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not a Shakespeare guy, but I know that you are. Well, I have a classical liberal arts education. Being a classical liberal. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand on that? No, that's enough. All right. Yeah. So what I was talking about was that I was reading uh, Dr. Klein's book on, from the 1950s on Freud's relationship to hypnosis. And I'd ask you if you had ever read it. And, and I said, said, no, I tried it. It put me and to sleep. put you to yeah. sleep, yeah. But I was... Uh, but the same thing happened when I read Das Kapital. Yeah. You didn't... It put you to sleep? Both. Yeah. The Germans... Uh, frequently do the Russians always do. Yeah, yeah. So no war and peace for you. I couldn't get through. Did it. you uh, watch Doctor Zhivago? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie. But I carried War and Peace around for probably two months, hoping people would think I was intellectual because I had it in my hands. I must be reading it. Mm-hmm. Never opened a damn thing. Couldn't get into it. But if you ever got in a fight, you could hit somebody with it. You know, I didn't think of it that way, but <laughs> but. But it would have occurred to me at the time. Freud apparently uh, disavowed hypnosis because he was no good at it. That's why he left it. I find that to be interesting mm-hmm. because I think that's uh, a defense that a lot of us use. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's that's stupid. Oh, yeah. that's a waste of time. Oh, yeah. that's not good for me. Because why? Because, well, I can't really do it. Yeah. 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 So uh, if I, I just wonder, because at the time, hypnosis was considered avant-garde in psychological therapy. It was mesmerizing, so to speak. So to speak. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder what, how things would have been different had Freud embraced hypnosis and used it more predominantly for longer in his career, what the current ideas and, and usage of hypnosis would be. It would have been different. I think, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking he was trying to create in his own mind a roadmap, mm-hmm. an understanding of the human psyche and mm-hmm. psychological constructs and personality theory and all those things from which our field has evolved. Right. Um, and I'm not sure how hypnosis as a tool would fit into that. So uh, according to Klein, yeah. uh, the original argument that Freud posited against the use of hypnosis was his belief, his perception that it prevented the catharsis that is important in being able to resolve intrapsychic 
problems. Okay, so what you what that all means? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> there has to be an emotional cathexis. There has to be a release of emotional tension, hostility, animosity, fear, anger, uh, before you can move. It's like you have to vomit. Yeah. These emotions out. Right. And so they've come up with all these fancy, uh, long words so that they don't sound like saying they're vomiting. Mm-hmm. But what? Ex- let's uh, examine your cathexis. Well, let's have you throw up in the bucket, and then we'll look in it and say what you had for breakfast. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Uh, so he's saying with hypnosis, there's not really a cathexis because even if there's emotional release, and I've seen people under hypnosis cry, rage, rant, mm-hmm. carry on. Uh, but since the conscious part of your mind is turned off, it's not it's a durable not, change. It's not a real release. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then what Klein is arguing is that in reality, later uh, practitioners would say that actually not only can you experience a catharsis while in a hypnotic trance, that it actually foundationally uh, emphasizes or, or makes it easier for people to experience catharsis. But the issue is, so catharsis is the regurgitation of the emotion. Cathexis is the long-term durable change that allows you to carry that information with you forward throughout your life and make your life better. And so what people still struggle with, I think, is what is the cathexis? What, what is the durability of the information that you learn from hypnosis? So do you ever say to a client, I'm sorry, that just doesn't cathect? I have not ever said that. I probably wouldn't recommend it. Uh, you know, reading various psychologists and reading psychological literature very often just seems to me to be a lot of philosophers sitting around debating how many angels can dance mm-hmm. on the head of a pen mm-hmm. in service of some agenda, even if it's stroking their own ego, uh, which it often appears to be. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, for whatever that's worth, that's um, so far what I've gotten out of the book. Uh, you did not, you were trained to utilize hypnosis, but you did not frequently use it. I did when I was first learning how, mm-hmm. and what I learned was that the benefit that I could see consistently with clients was teaching them how to relax and focus. Mm-hmm. That was a benefit in and of itself. If you can uh, calm people down when they're distressed to the point that that distress interferes with their mm-hmm. daily life, there's a benefit. And so if you can teach them to relax their muscles, relax their breathing, breathe more deeply, center themselves, still themselves, that's a gain. Mm-hmm. And that ha- happens under hypnosis. Yeah. When we used hypnosis in the recovery of memory, what I found was that it didn't really benefit in the same way uh, that a client would benefit if the memory came in their conscious state. Mm-hmm. And again, you go back to the concept of the cathexis, the, the release of that, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that memory. If, if I hypnotized you, and you went back in time and revisited some particular memory, and you came up with all these details. Oh, my dog was there, and, and my grandpa was there, and the TV was on. And 
and then you saw or heard something, felt something, whatever, then you could retain that information when you came back to consciousness. Mm -hmm. But it was just like you'd read a novel. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like you'd experienced it. Mm -hmm. It was like you saw it on a TV show. And so there wasn't the benefit to that. So I quit doing it for that. Mm -hmm. The only reason then that I ever used hypnosis was for self-hypnosis and Mm -hmm. self-relaxation. Teach people skills for getting centered, for calming down, uh, for controlling their anxiety. Uh, and, And I didn't use it for historical research. Right. And so this wasn't actually the, the, the topic for today, but it leads us into yeah, yeah. The, the topic. It's all connected. One of the uh, primary modalities that came out of uh, psychology in response to Freud and some of the things that were going on during his period on the stage was this concept of Gestalt psychology. And the idea of Gestalt is what from your understanding well there are two different terms that I'll, i mean there are two different domains mm-hmm. that use the same term there's gestalt psychology mm-hmm. and then there's gestalt therapy and i think people don't know the difference no i yeah. i think even a lot of therapists don't know yeah. the, the difference so gestalt psychology is looking at the concept of the whole and it talks about how does your brain work and how do you pull uh a definition of reality mm-hmm. from all these disparate sources of information from your senses from your memory from your experience from the surround noises uh, sights uh, people personalities into a cohesive whole mm-hmm. that you can say well this is my reality this is the world I live in these are the people that I know these are the people I care about these are the ones I don't and balance that Gestalt psychology is similar in that Gestalt looks, therapy I'm sorry, yes, gestalt therapy is similar in that it it is asking to look at the whole Mm -hmm. of your experience. And so uh, a focus on it, for instance, would be let's look at your body. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where in your body are you feeling this particular emotion? And when you ask men that, very often you get a, I don't know, response because men have not been trained to pay attention to that. But it may be that you grit your teeth. And so the tension may be in your jaw muscle, mm-hmm. or it may be that your breathing becomes constricted and the tension is in your chest, or maybe that you're sick at your stomach and your stomach is roiling around. And it, there's some benefit in asking, as a therapist, if I'm sitting across from you, asking you as a male who's having these feelings, where in your body are they? Mm-hmm. Can you identify that? And mm-hmm. of course, you're going to blow me off and say, no, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I just feel it. But you can work on it and you can teach them the same way that you can teach people that have learned to dissociate. When you dissociate, when you go away from an experience that you can't handle, then you signal that behaviorally. There's a change mm-hmm. in your uh, eye contact, in your breathing, and maybe maybe you do a twitch. You cross your legs or uncross your legs. There's always some physical signal. And I can read, if I'm trained to see these things, that you've just made a shift. Mm-hmm. And so then I say to you, it mm-hmm. feels to me like you just shifted away from whatever we were talking about because it was too intense. I won't say painful, I don't know, mm-hmm. but too intense. You couldn't handle it, mm-hmm. so you shifted away. And you'll say, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. So then I, and I never say, well, you're lying or you're wrong. I say, okay, I'm wrong. I, I misunderstood because every, every individual is different. Mm-hmm. So I need to learn you. 
So is it okay with you? Is it non-threatening or non-offensive? If whenever I think I see it, I ask, because that way I can learn Mm -hmm. to read you correctly and hear you completely, accurately. And you'll say, yeah, yeah, that's okay. So then I just gently observe every time I see it. Oh, your shoulder just twitched, and this this is what it felt like to me. Did I get that right? And you'll say, no, no, and I say, okay. And then we'll do it again, and I'll say, Mm -hmm. your shoulder just twitched. And you say, yeah, yeah, maybe. And then... Mm -hmm. And then eventually you'll get to a place where you'll say, hey, did you notice my shoulder twitch? Because mm-hmm. now I'm self-aware. I've learned. So that's an element of Gestalt psychology. Yeah. Let's bring what's in the room into our consciousness because it's useful information. And one of the primary ways that I apply Gestalt techniques is when I talk to people, especially couples, about perception. So everybody's perception is what foundationally creates their gestalt. And if you are a different person, then you are experiencing the world differently. And if I assume that the way that you experience the world is the same way that I experience the world, I'm going to draw inappropriate conclusions. So when people say, well, this is how it went, and then you ask the other, is that how it went? They're always going to say, no, no, no. They're going to have a different interpretation but everybody's perception creates the foundation of their gestalt. And so we have to look at how those perceptual realities are different to really gain understanding. In marriage counseling, one of the most common things that you have to discuss at some point is assumptive communications. Mm -hmm. I assume that I know what you are going to say or how you're going to feel or react to something that I'm going to talk about. And then I create my defense against that particular assumption. And if you don't react in the way that I anticipated, Mm -hmm. then we're suddenly on different paths Mm -hmm. because I'm still interacting with the the assumption that I had. And you're looking wide-eyed and innocent and saying, I don't understand where this is going or where this Mm -hmm. is coming from because that's not how I feel. That's not what I... Even as a child, I learned that because my father would say, Get that look off your face. I know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, he never knew. Right. I mean, he never knew. And he, but he would go into this long diatribe about you're thinking this and that and the other. That was all his projection. He projected that onto me. It wasn't coming from any information from me. And it wasn't accurate. And that is, brings us to one of the primary ways in which Gestalt therapy is the different chair. from, well, different from, from Freudian psychoanalysis. Uh, but let's take a break and uh, we'll pick that up on. on the other side. Okay. Go. Michael. Yeah. Why should people listen to this show? Because we have a dearth of both intellectual and professional experience. We've taught university. A dearth? Yeah. Is in an absence? Dearth? Dearth of means not much of. We're starving. I thought dearth meant a lot of. Oh, no. well, see, that's why they should listen to the show, because every time you tune in, one of us has you learn something. <laughs> if it's Friday, it's Psychic Mike. Okay, we're back. And uh, so Freud's original psychoanalysis and both Fritz Perls, who is the founder of Gestalt Psychology and his wife, Laura, his wife at the time, Laura, uh, were both trained in the application of psychoanalysis. And in psychoanalysis, one of the primary focuses is to look into the past and to identify where things may have gone wrong that brought you to where you are in the future. Yeah. And Gestalt psychology said, we're not going to look at that. We're not going to look at the past. We're going to look at the here and now. So the here and now focus, and you are a big, big 
progenitor of this, the yeah. here and now focus was first proposed in Gestalt psychology and in Gestalt therapy. And so when we make these assumptive communication uh, mistakes, it's because we all formulate a script. I'm going to say this, you're going to say that, then I'm going to say, then you're going to say. Oh, yeah. And we're trying to create. Well, we can do that when, we, when, when we've screwed up. Yeah. When we've embarrassed ourselves sure. somewhere. Then we have a reconstructive imaginary conversation about what if I had said what this if I had and done they said this and mm-hmm. I said this. And, and we soothe our emotional distress by creating a false picture of reality. It didn't happen that way, but it makes us feel better to imagine that mm-hmm. it did. That it could have or would have or should have. So we exist in a perpetual state of using our past experiences to create an expectation of the future, and we're never living in the moment. And so Gestalt therapy says, no, 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 we're not going to use this information from the past to generate these future expectations. We're going to live in this moment, this here and now. What are you experiencing in this moment? And how can this moment inform you as you go forward? And that was one of the primary breaks with psychoanalysis that was so focused on what has happened in your past. Yeah. Uh, As a child, I learned that a particular tone of voice in my father's uh, voice, words, Mm -hmm. was dangerous. So today, as an adult, if I ever hear that tone, Mm -hmm. I instantly flash back to the perception of danger and to whatever defenses that I learned to use to survive that danger. As a Gestalt therapist, I would ask somebody, get in touch with that. What is that doing? Then get in touch with your body. Mm -hmm. How are you shutting down? How are you isolating? How are you positioning? Are you being aggressive in your posture? Are you ready to fight back? Are you ready to run away? Are you ready to collapse into an eggshell and cry? I mean, what are you feeling? And even if that was survival skill then, yesterday, yeah. what well, does look it around do for the room. you today? Do you need, do you need to right. act that way? Could you choose right. a different path? For instance, could you say, oh, that's somebody I don't know. That That's not, I check the environment. I'm not in any danger. Mm-hmm. So I can calm my system down. Yeah. And I have to figure out how to, how to do that. I tell people all the time that when my dad would come home drunk, yeah. Everybody in the house Knew. could tell yeah. what the, the night was going to be like by listening for the way his key hit the lock. Yeah. Just by knowing what the pattern was. You develop a radar, un- an antenna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's unbelievable. People may not know. Like, I've gone back and really, really tried to pay attention. What was the trigger? What really activated our awareness of how the night was going to go? And I realized it was hearing the sound of the key hitting the lock. People may not even be aware of the things that are triggering them from their past. And that's why it's so important to try and judge the efficacy of that in the here and now. Because if we're just operating off of that past rote memory, we're doing what you were talking about earlier with the assumptive communication. We're doing it with our behavior patterns. We're assuming that the things that were life skills, that were things that were coping strategies in the past, are working effectively for us in the present, and they may not be. Yeah. So one of the ways that Gestalt therapists have learned to address this, because you can't just explain it to somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not a logical construct that I can just lay out for you on a chalkboard and have you change. Oh, my God, I had an epiphany. Now I'm going to be a different person. 
my real name is Brenda, <laughs> um, is to use the the empty chair. Mm-hmm. So you have two chairs side by side. You ask your client to sit in one of them, and you ask them to um, talk about some situation, some person, some conversation that they've had. And then you ask them to physically get uh, to, and to the empty chair, to one beside it. Like if you're having a dispute with your wife or your boss or your friend, you say, as if they were sitting here, tell them whatever you want to tell them, whatever you need to say. So they say it. Then you say, now get up and move to the other chair and sit in the other chair and respond as if you were them mm-hmm. to you. And they thought, oh, that's really stupid. Well, I can just do it sitting here. You say, no, I need you to physically get up and get in the other chair. So they'll balk, but they do it. At least the first couple times they, they balk. But after that, they don't because mm-hmm. they learn. So then they get in the other chair, and then they answer whatever the accusation, explanation, conversation was from their perspective. So then you say, now get up, move back to the first chair, and respond to the response. Mm-hmm. And you have them do this dialogue with this person that's in their life or their, or their past. And as they do that and physically move from chair to chair, they get in touch with what, how their body changes mm-hmm. inside, how their emotions change, and they hear the conversation differently. And then you, as an impartial uh, monitor, mm-hmm. can begin to ask questions about what they heard or what they thought or mm-hmm. what what underlies the assumptions and what feelings that is and where those feelings go and come from. And, and so you use that to help them progress in their growth to being able to have other options. And, and a corollary to that, but different, is top dog, underdog, yeah. where there's a perceptual power difference. So in the empty chair, there doesn't need to be a perceptual power difference. In the top dog, yeah. underdog, there has to be some perceptual power differential. But both of those, and, and, and the exercise is essentially the same, yeah. where the, the yeah. client tries to express themselves from the top dog position, then respond from the underdog position. But all of those things are designed to help the client understand that there is a perceptual difference between what the world that they live in and experience and the world that other people live in and experience. And when you can recognize that there's this perceptual difference then hopefully you can stop making those assumptive uh, patterns uh, where you're thinking that you know what's going to happen. Well, and what you learn, especially as a therapist, what you learn is you're not dealing with objective fact. Yeah. You're dealing with people's perceptions and of experiences. If So people say all the time, if you could give the entire world one thing, and it's like that would be the thing that I would give people. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's a powerful piece of awareness when when you and and as a skill clinical Mm -hmm. skill the ability for you to internalize that so you don't chase the rabbit down the rabbit hole i'm not trying to go back and prove whether or not your grandfather molested you Mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do is help you get to a place where whatever you think happened isn't limiting your choices Mm -hmm. today isn't directing your path today but that you the adult you is able to process this experience differently and the reason that i would give people this ability to understand that perceptions are unique to the individual and i would even go one step beyond that that i would give people that ability with the ability to not judge it like 
this yeah. is better, or this is worse. Yeah. They're just perceptions. Yeah. It's not about who's right or wrong or about who's more objectively correct. Right. It's about we have different perceptual realities and that shapes our world and therefore we experience life differently. So, you know, Robert Fulgram in his old, in his uh, classic uh, essay on parenting, there's a line in there that says, your children do not live the life that you perceive them to live. <laughs> yeah. And that exactly. is so important for yeah. us to understand. Yeah. Everybody lives a reality that is different than the one that we perceive them living because just the act of perceiving their reality is filtered through our perceptual reality. Well, there are so many different theoretical ways to explain that or understand it. And one that I've more recently encountered uh, that I really have some fascination for right now is internal family systems. Mm -hmm. And that is a belief that you have these personas, these roles, uh, personalities inside you like like a protector that come to protect you and that these different parts of you are all there to take care of some aspect of you and sometimes they get you in get you flummoxed mm-hmm. get you in situations where if you if you encounter a situation uh, road rage mm-hmm. somebody does something cuts you off whatever and you get emotionally pretty volatile the way to understand that in a helpful way so that you don't become uh, controlled by that and act out in some way that's going to have you sent to prison or get you arrested because you run somebody off the road and killed them, uh, is to recognize that there are parts in you that are churning this stuff mm-hmm. up. Find mm-hmm. out what those parts are. Powerlessness, victimization, hurt, loss of status, whatever it may be. And what do you need to be able to say to that part I'm okay. Yeah. It's all right. I hear you. I, I hear what you're saying. But now we can deal with this differently. And so that would be learning to self-soothe. Yes. Yeah. And, and self-regulate. Mm-hmm. But to listen to the agenda of that particular part instead of reject it. You know, I find it to be unattractive about myself that I could get that flash angry. Mm-hmm. I don't, as a civilized man, as an educated man, I don't want to have those feelings. Well, I have them. Mm-hmm. So what's going what on when I have them? them? What am I going to do with them? Are, are they going to run me or am I going to? be able to control them, force them? Am I going to have an internal battle that tries to settle it? Or am I going to be able to process it and say, okay, I know where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. I hear what you want me to hear. I feel powerless. I feel this guy was rude to me, so he saw me as insignificant. He took my power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so did he really? I can objectively look at it and say, well, no, he just cut me off. Well, right, he can't Uh, take your power. You can only give him your power. So then I can have a different dialogue with myself instead of one that feeds into the road rage, mm-hmm. but I can calm down that explosive feeling inside my body, which goes back to the gestalt thing mm-hmm. about feeling your body, breathing, relaxing your breath, relaxing your And tension. so these ideas of gestalt, yeah. therapy and gestalt psychology, came in the 40s, were, were being built in the 40s. So even before Viktor Frankl's existential psychology, before Carl Rogers' person-centered psychology, but both of, but but they it had qualities of both of those things in that you, you, the the goal of gestalt therapy is to put the onus on the individual to own their behavior you can't blame the rest of the world for your plight you have to accept responsibility for where you are and it was very person centered so own, own it as an empowering way yes he it says, gives you options not yeah. as a shaming way yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or judgmental way uh, well you are bad you yeah. you really screw up 
everything you do turns to crap. Uh, not that way, but to say, I did this, I made a mistake, uh, or I had a behavior that I'm not fond of, so now I need to figure out how to process that. What in, what in me drove me to that behavior? What can I do differently if I choose to, if I want to, going forward? How can I be different? And another way in which it was a radical change from psychoanalysis was this idea of person-centered. So it was with the idea being that, which is ironic because Fritz Perls was a pretty big narcissist. I think that's well documented. I think, so a, lot, I think a lot of those guys were. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the therapist was viewed as being in cooperation with the client, not superior to. So psychoanalysis is, I'm a doctor. I'm going to tell you what's wrong. I'm going to teach you how to be better. And right. in Gestalt psychology, it was, I'm going well, to sit here and, and, yeah. and help you process things, but the answers are going to come from inside you. Right. And so I tend to be very psychoeducational, um, and it, Gestalt therapists would really try and take themselves out of that role. So I, I do try and monitor that and be aware of it and not do that to an extreme but that would be a way in which I am not very gestalt, is that I do tend to be educative in therapy. Yeah, you have a real need to explain it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a you, gestalt therapist would not do that. No. And I would argue that the client doesn't really benefit from that. I, I know you would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and even if I... But, but see, my perceptual reality is different. And yeah. so my reality is that people come to me because they've heard that about me and they really want that now i, I and and i and I'm, I'm well you know sometimes they come what they want is an insight i want a label give they, me a right what, what, tell me and what do i have am i depressed and, am i anxious and then when you say well yeah you're depressed oh, okay that's all i want right i and, don't want to do anything but i just want to know what to call it and what i'm very aware of is that the way that i do things could take away responsibility of the client to come to their own conclusions, which is, in some people would say, a much more durable way of being able to process information and move forward. If you take responsibility for it, you're going to be more likely to retain that information for a much longer period of time. I agree with you completely. I just would phrase it differently. Okay. Yeah, because I would say, uh, how do you become the person you want to be? Mm -hmm. As you understand the person that you are, and maybe you spend a little time understanding how did I get to be this way. I, I would say it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, and see, and I would want to. Yeah, dive in. Well, a lot of people want to dive back into all yeah. those memories and label them and, and assign them. Uh, but I would say, how's it getting in your way of living your life the way you want to live it? Mm-hmm. You know, of you being the person you want to be. What can we do to identify those areas and modify them so that you're making healthier, better, happier decisions. Mm-hmm. And you're being a person that you respect and admire instead of shame-based or guilt-based or anger-based uh, the way you're describing yourself now. Yeah. And so there's this famous collection of tapes where three very, very popular at the time uh, therapists, Albert Ellis, Ellis, uh, Carl Rogers, and Fritz Perls, yeah. all worked with Gloria. the same client named yeah. Gloria. And oh, we've all seen those. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I was just going to tell people, if you haven't seen those, I, and, and maybe I'll put a link uh, to it in the show notes, but you can find them on the YouTubes. They're not yeah. hard to find. But there's this part when Pearls says to her, 
would you like to strangle Fritz? What would it feel like? Fritz Perls always talked about himself in the third yeah. person. Yeah. What would it feel like to have your hands around Fritz's neck? I mean, and he just goes on this diatribe about, do you want to strangle Fritz? Are you angry with Fritz? And, and, yeah. and you know, and it, it is uh, what sounds like the most inappropriate, ineffective way of approaching the situation. But afterwards, when they ask Gloria, who did you find to be most helpful? It was amazing. So Carl Rogers was obviously Carl Rogers. He's all about he would never yeah. He would never say, I, I, this is what you should do. And she got really, really frustrated. And Ellis was, you know, well, let's reframe that. Uh, and she said that um, Fritz Pearls was the most intimidating, but the most helpful. She was very, very frustrated by uh, Roger's inability to give her any direction. And so she kind of completely wrote him off. She continued to see Ellis for a period of time after the conclusion of those tapes, and they remained friends up until her death. Um, but uh, she said Fritz Pearls was the most helpful. Okay. Did she put it in a succinct form how he was different? How was he helpful? Uh, that the way he he put her in a position to have to see herself more genuinely and have to take responsibility for it. Accurate, reflective yeah. listening. Yeah. Which is well, what we all strive for. If you want to strangle Fritz Burles. If that's what she was if feeling. If that's what it takes. It, no, if that's what she was feeling. And, and, and that's and, an accurate and, yeah. reflection. Right now you want to slap my face. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you? Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That not mean you have to. Right. It just means that's what you're feeling. Yeah. Where in your body is that feeling? It's my clenched right fist. So, so what a Gestalt therapist would say, all right, look at your clenched right fist. Tell me what it's saying to you. What What, what are you hearing it say? Mm-hmm. What words are in your head? And mm-hmm. so Fritz would offer some inter- interpretive labels. But what he wants the person to do is say, it's saying, you know, mash your nose, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, it's, whatever it's saying. So the Gestalt therapist would ask you, you just cross your legs. Mm-hmm. What is that saying to you? Mm-hmm. And that sounds really stupid. Mm-hmm. And if you're not trained that way, when somebody says that to you, you're like, "Why am I paying money to this bozo? What does he know?" But there's value in it. Absolutely. When I was when I was first being trained, they were trained us to interpret dreams. Mm-hmm. And in the class that I had, which was a Gestalt dream interpretation class, they had somebody tell a dream. Volunteer. Here's my dream. I dreamed this last night. Dreamt this last night. And then they had assigned everybody a role in the dream. Mm. And the guy was at the airport, and he was looking for the gate in his dream, and they were calling his name over the PA system and what have you. So the instructor assigned everybody uh, a role. And some people were gate operators. Some people were planes. Some people were the, the announced PA system. So the PA system was saying, you know, gate 21 is closed. You know, they just stand there and mm-hmm. say that over and over again. Gate 22 is now available. Uh and so, so they asked me what role I wanted to be. And I said, I'm yeah. going to be a departing plane. <laughs> so, so you could fly I, away. I got up and went in the corner. <laughs> I, I left. Uh, but I watched the process. Yeah. And, and, and the guy whose dream was being interpreted by all these people who were acting out the roles in the dream, he had an epiphany sitting in class. Mm. He was like, oh, my God, this is what it means. Mm. Well, who knows? Mm. But he felt wow. that it was really beneficial and helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. So hopefully this has been helpful for people.
people who are listening to it. As always, the music that appears in Psych with Mike is written and performed by Mr. Benjamin DeClue. If you have any questions or comments, uh, we are wanting to be responsive to those. So send those to us at uh, psychwithmike.com. And if it's Friday, it's Psych with